When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, rugby fans, and welcome to episode 155 of the DNVR Rugby Podcast. My name is Colton Strickler. I'm your host. Got a good show for everybody today, and we'll start that show off the same way we do every week, by starting off with the breakdown. And the breakdown is brought to you by O'Neill's. O'Neill's is the official sportswear supplier to the biggest teams in world rugby, Infinity Park, and the American Raptors. Shop apparel now at O'Neill's.com. It's O-N-E-I-L-L-S.com. Starting off with the American Raptors, by the time you're listening to this podcast, the American Raptors and I will be heading up to Aspen for Ruggerfest. The schedule has been released, and it looks a little something like this. Raptors take on Ombach on Saturday at 10.15 a.m., and then they play Boulder RFC on Saturday at 11.45 a.m. Obviously, once those two results are in the books, we'll know the rest of the schedule, um, but if they make it through bracket play, the final will take place on Sunday at 4 p.m., so I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I've only been to Ruggerfest once, had a great time. I'm looking forward to getting back up there again and watching some good rugby. I'm taking my recorder, so hopefully can land a couple of interviews while we're there. I'll put those in the show for next week. Moving to USA Rugby News, I've seen a lot of chatter online about this all, you know, MLR Eagles team that has assembled for a camp at Infinity Park. Um, it's been a bit of a secret, I guess. I don't have much information about it as I don't know all the players that are in attendance. I have seen them out there working this week. I saw Gary Gold last week. I actually met him for the first time last Wednesday. Um, And I can tell you that the camp will be two weeks long. So they'll be running around next week too. go out there and see if I can see anything. Um, And I I got a few questions to ask too. So hopefully we can get to the bottom of some stuff. So stay tuned for all that. Last but certainly not least, we'll wrap up this very short breakdown with the MLR. Wild week in the MLR, lots of big players on the move. Um, Andrew Quatran earlier this summer was traded from Toronto to Utah, and then this last week Utah traded Andrew to New England. So he's on the move, um, and Utah also traded away former league MVP Mikey Teo, traded him back to San Diego uh, to be closer to his family. Um, so lots of stuff going on. Uh, as we get a little bit closer to MLR season, I would imagine that this is going to keep happening there's going to be stuff just trickling out here and there um, I would imagine teams report in December so uh, still like right in the middle of that off season, but it's going to go quick and there'll be a lot more news when we get closer to December around Christmas time let's go ahead and jump into all the rugby you can watch this weekend all the rugby you can watch this weekend is brought to you by Wintergreen Wintergreen loves rugby and wants to support USA Rugby's mission of uniting an inclusive passionate rugby community to grow the sport of rugby in America Wintergreen gels, creams, sprays, and soaks are made with wintergreen oils and other therapeutic natural oils that help to soothe and support sore muscles and joints to keep you at your best. Visit wintergreensport.com to purchase the products you need to help you prepare to win. 
Uh, so we don't really have that much. I guess there's three competitions running right now that we can watch. We got Bunning NPC all weekend. Watch out on Flow Rugby. We got the Premiership in round two all weekend. Catch that on Peacock. And then top 14, uh, round three all weekend. You can watch that one on Flow Rugby as well. Uh, so, I mean, there's three there's three competitions going, um, but, but your options are pretty limited. Uh, so that, that does it for all the rugby you can watch this weekend, unless you're, of course, going to Aspen or, uh, you know, catching some local matches or something like that. Let's go ahead and jump into the interview portion of the show. This interview with American Raptor Luke Millette is brought to you by Guard Lab. Join the mouthguard revolutions with American-made mouthguards that perform, protect, and recover. For more information, visit guardlab.com. Uh, so had a really good conversation uh, with American Raptor Luke Millette just about his athletic career and how seriously he's taken rugby now that he's here. Um, he's unfortunately in the process of dealing with a knee injury, so his perspective on the game's changed a little bit. Um, but but we talk a lot about you know how hard it is to deal with this knee injury, but you know there's bright sides to it, like seeing the game from a different angle. You know having this extra time to work on you know, your passing, some of your skills that you don't necessarily need your your knees for, but stuff that can make all the difference um, in a match and in a career, of course. Uh, and he's one of the unique Raptors that has played. He played two sports in college. I think he's – we talked about it in the podcast, but he's the only Raptor on the roster that comes from a lacrosse background. He played some football as well. So it's interesting to get all, you know, into the weeds and all that stuff, hear how rugby's like lacrosse. Um, and with that introduction, we'll go ahead and kick it to my conversation with American Raptor Luke Millette. All right, now we welcome on Luke Millette, American Raptor, to the show. Luke, how's it going, man? I'm doing good. Happy to be here. Yeah, thank you for joining me. Our guy I've wanted to talk to for quite a while now, so I'm glad that we can knock this out. So uh, I guess the first question I ask everybody that comes on the show, Luke, is just can you tell me a little bit about where you're from? Uh, I'm from Chicago, Illinois. Uh, grew up playing football and lacrosse out there. Uh, then went to college to play lacrosse up at Amherst. Uh, was an All-American over there, national championship. Then uh, transferred to play football over at Northern Illinois. Uh, won a match championship there this last winter. Then graduated early, talked to a couple uh, NFL teams, but you know didn't get picked up and then got offered the contract out here, so came out here. Perfect. That's a perfect segue into all the, the rest of the questions I have for you because I think you do have an interesting sports background because I believe, I could be wrong, there's a lot of new guys here, but you're the only lacrosse player on in the Raptors, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I figured that was the case. How is rugby like lacrosse? Uh, rugby's a lot like lacrosse, actually, especially on defense, just like the constant communication, everyone having to have each other's back, mm -hmm. um, the fact that you're working in a unit of – well, lacrosse is seven, rugby is 15, but it's really like football you can get into, especially on the edge at receiver and cornerback. It can become a one-on-one -on -one game. Rugby really is 15 on 15, like it's us versus them. And that's a lot very similar to lacrosse. Do you, do you think it's more like lacrosse than football? Uh, Yeah, at times, yeah. for sure. Um, especially how the offense is – and the defense, like, everything works better. Like, you can win one-on-ones, but mm -hmm. it's setting yourself up for that. And, like, a good team can beat, like, good athletes right. in a lot of ways. Seems like it's a more continuous, too, right? Like, there's not a whole lot of stoppages in lacrosse. 
as football, like rugby is the same way too. Um, because I always tell people like I only I played rugby in high school. I played soccer a lot when I was little, and then you know played football and soccer at the same time. And I always kind of felt that rugby felt a little more like soccer than it did football. As kind of weird as that may sound to people that maybe aren't super familiar with it, because it is a it's free flowing. You know, um, there's a lot of contact, of course, but that's that was kind of like the only crossover to me. You know, in terms of football and rugby. So I was curious to what you know you thought about the same thing. Uh, so I wanted to ask you about your college career. So you, you played lacrosse for four years at, at Armhurst, you said? Amherst, Amherst, yeah. excuse me. Um, did you play football also while you were there? Because was there a little bit of, you know, crossover with you there while you were in college? Yeah, around my sophomore year, I realized, like, I was probably going to transfer out of there. Yeah. Um, started playing football, too, just because I, I really missed the sport. And also I knew I would have just better opportunities to, you know, keep my college paid for, keep yeah. everything going, and was talking to the football coach a couple of times while I was there, and he was like, you know, like, you have, like, the athleticism to make it to the next level mm -hmm. if you, like, really focus in on this. So I did my junior year at Amherst. I uh, talked to the lacrosse coach, told him I was going to be a two-sport athlete. He wasn't too thrilled about <laughs> yeah. that, but was playing well enough that yeah. he let me do both sports. That's cool. What is that? What is like your typical like year look like then? So the the year you're doing both things because you did it one year or two years? Two. Two years. So like what does that look like? Because I know, you know, I've covered college football here. Like I know it's like a year long commitment, right? Like it's uh, I would assume lacrosse is a spring sport, right? It's like I know like there's spring practice or you're in the pro you're in the weights program like how do you do both of those things at the same time? Yeah, so there was a lot of uh, – neither of the coaches were too happy about yeah. it, but I basically was in season all yeah. all the time. Like, I'd come in for – I'd come in early for football camp in the in the summer, obviously, would um, do, like, preseason camp or football and then the season. But I'd be missing, like, all of fall ball, all of the offseason for lacrosse, mm -hmm. and then kind of come in right as lacrosse preseason – was starting like would be right as the last football game would end so I'd have like I'd finish the game you know drink a couple of beers with the guys yeah. and then head over to yeah head right over to <laughs> lacrosse and go right into that one but the biggest thing for both of the coaches was making sure that I was handling the, the lifting the strength and conditioning mm -hmm. on my own which I you know definitely was something I prided myself on would how different is that for both sports like do you have to is it different workout programs because i can imagine you know there's probably some different requirements or do, were you kind of on your own like program yeah i'm i'm not gonna lie i definitely did a lot of my own <laughs> yeah. my own stuff i yeah. was definitely given a lot of programming by both of the uh, you're just both like, of the staffs mm, but i was not, doing a lot of my own it. stuff yeah. <laughs> but the biggest difference for me would be uh lacrosse was a lot of like sustained speed mm -hmm. and conditioning and then football was a lot more like top speed like how fast how quickly can you get up to you know your peak so there's a lot of a lot of it translates but those were, I think would be the two the two main differences mm -hmm. and then you I did a, you know a little reading on you you played receiver at, and then you played defensive end when you transferred is that right yeah so when I transferred I, I transferred to play tight end uh -huh. uh, receiving tight end there and then the coaching staff switched. I think I had six different coaches Jeez. while I was at NIU. Uh -huh. So that was interesting. <laughs> but uh, 
the that last senior season, they needed a little bit of help on the defensive side of the ball. They asked if I'd make the switch, and you know, I wanted to be a good teammate, so I agreed. So how long were you at um, NIU then? Just one year? Uh, two years. Two years, okay. And you had six different coaches. That's <laughs> There's a lot of turnover, <laughs> lot of in, the, turnover. in the tight end room. Yeah. Uh, what um, I guess what you enjoy most about after you transferred, I, I would assume that's kind of like where you wanted to be, or was there like a couple different options that you were kind of looking at? How'd you end up at NIU? Uh, I had a couple of, of different options coming out of, of Amherst to transfer, and then you know, some events just went down in my life, and NIU was a, a place that stuck by me through those, and I very much was like, you know, they stuck by me, I want to stick by them, um, so decided to go over there. Definitely the, the thing I liked the most about being at NIU was how dedicated you could see they were to turning that program back around and making it, making it as good as it could be and making us as good as it could be. Like I definitely would not be the player the size that I am without going there. Mm -hmm. Did you like playing offense or defense more? I like scoring touchdowns, man, <laughs> I won't lie. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. That, that seems like it would be more fun too. Um, I guess, so can you, I know you talked a, bit, a little bit at the top of the show, but can you kind of explain, you know, like the end of your, your collegiate career? Um, I'm interested to hear more about like the NFL process and then ultimately how you ended up here, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, so towards the end of my collegiate career, like I did the junior pro day, talked to, like, you know, take the Wonderlick, 40, all that stuff, the measurements. What's a Wonderlick like? I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I'm always interested when those scores come out. It's like... Is it applicable at all? Like, is it just, what are some of the questions you get on there? Man, I'm not going to lie to you. I had not done some of those, like, <laughs> styles of math in so long. Yeah. But it's very similar to, like, like an ACT, SAT. But to me, I think it's more designed to, like, make you panic and make you overthink mm -hmm. things. Because if you, like, actually look at the test and you look at the time limit and you kind of start to realize, like, oh, there's no way to finish all of these questions in this time. I think, like, one person, which was, like, Ryan Fitzpatrick out of oh, yeah. Harvard, Harvard, is yeah. the only guy who's <laughs> ever, like, finished it and got it all right. But yeah. it's more just, like, you know, just calm down. If you didn't, you can't get one in, like, 20 seconds, skip it, move on to the next one, and kind of just work your way through it and not, not panic. So it's more of, like, you're getting tested on how to take a test. I remember in school, like, like doing some of the AP classes, some of the teachers were, like, you know, this is going to be hard, and, and that's it was more of like a test-taking class, like go through the ones you know first and then come back, and so that's interesting. Is there any way to prepare for it, or you just kind of go in and do it? Um, I'm sure you could have. You, you can definitely prepare for it. I did not, I won't <laughs> lie. I completely forgot. I spent so yeah. much of those months, like, lifting and preparing yeah. for the bench and the 40 the pro shuttle especially was something I was I was very good at, so I wanted to make that time as good as possible. And then, you know, we finish all that, and they just sit you down in the classroom and slap yeah. that test down in front of you. And I was like, oh, crap. Like, yeah. I totally There's forgot about this part. part. This. Yeah, that's funny. So sorry to interrupt you. Feel free to continue. After. You're talking about the wonder, like. Oh, but, yeah, it's definitely closer. to I'd say it's like, like ACT, SAT questions. It's yeah. not really football-related, yeah. but more just like, how well can you perform under pressure when you get things that you're not like used mm -hmm. to or haven't seen in a while? Uh -huh. And you do that at your pro day or like when does that take place? Yeah, that was, it was at our pro day. Just like went upstairs to the classroom and mm. put it in front of us. Cool. Okay. So then that's like, the, is that like the first part of the process then? Like how, how does the rest of the NFL process work? 
Um, I mean, for, for me, like, it was more just like I talked to, to two teams, the Vikings and the Packers, just talked to their scouts, went through all my stuff, basically told me that they really liked the athlete I was on paper and just, like, you know, all my combine stats and just, you know, need to see it on a field. And, unfortunately, didn't get that much playing time those last couple of years at NIU. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, you control what you can control. You right. can't sub yourself in. So just had to, you know, after that – kind of dropped off in that process and then got the call from out here and we're like nice hey like you said you want an opportunity here is one Uh yeah let's go so how how did i guess i would assume peter got in touch with you right is that how it went yeah yeah did you just kind of call you out of the blue like how did how did that work uh he hit me up i think my at the beginning of the season was like hey like do you want to come out here and i was like i i still have like a full Mm -hmm. season left and he was like you know cool like just let me know when you guys, when you finish, like we like your build, your athleticism, like we think you have like a lot of comparison. Uh, David Still is the guy yeah. that he was like, you have a lot of comparisons to this guy athletically and we think we can turn you into that kind of player if you come out here and just, you know, he, he never was really like pushy or anything, was just yeah. very much like, hey, we're on your side here. Like we want to see you become the best you can be if you want to take that chance and definitely jumped at it and yeah. happy to be here. So was that something that was in your mind throughout the season or like when the season ended, was that something you're like, oh, maybe I do give this a shot or was it just kind of like how – I'm just curious, like did he hit you up again then? Yeah, yeah, he hit, he hit me back up at yeah. the end of the season and I was kind of just sitting there like still training, still trying to stay in shape for that uh, football shot. But it was definitely something that was in my mind like the whole time because, mm-hmm. you know, the whole time I was like thinking like, oh, yeah, like I do have this like – low-key in my back pocket maybe to yeah. pull out at the end of this and you know I played I played rugby actually my freshman year at Amherst oh, for like three games before my <laughs> lacrosse coach found out and was like absolutely no, not but <laughs> it was definitely like a fun game yeah I was I think the the first three times I touched the ball out there like I scored tries so yeah I definitely came out here and I was like, oh, rugby's really easy. And then yeah. you get here and I'm like, oh, that was not <laughs> – that was a very different kind a of boi- rugby. Yeah, boiled down version of Rats Funny. Um, so how did – I guess how did you get recruited to join the rugby team then? They just were like, hey, you want to come play or, or how did that work And I, at, in college? Oh, in, in college it was more like I was just walking by <laughs> and just they were like – I saw them playing and I I mean I love sports and I wanted to play football still and uh-huh. they – at that point in time like they weren't letting me – I, right. I had to do a little better. Like I had to get like a couple all regions, couple all American yeah. looks before they Give were yourself, like, yes. All right, you can go play football <laughs> yeah. too. But definitely, uh, that that first year I was missing football, and I was like, well, rugby's as close as I can get, and you know maybe my coaches won't find out, and <laughs> they didn't until he like walked past a game and saw me score a try yeah. and was like, I, like uh, what do you, you know, what went do you down, think you're did doing? the dive, <laughs> and like got up and saw him staring at me in the back of the end zone, and I was like, oh crap. <laughs> So that's interesting. So you already knew a little bit about rugby before you came here. Then that's got to, that had to be helpful. I know, like you said, it wasn't exactly the same caliber of competition, but it had to be a little bit helpful that you already had some familiarity with passing and like the structure of the game, right? I'm not gonna lie to you. I did not pass <laughs> once while I was. Oh, out. That, they, that's they very too, much. Yeah. It was like a show up on <laughs> just show up on game day, and we will toss you the ball uh, and you go do the run. rest. That's all right. I, I like, you know, that sounds like college rugby to me. Um, so what, I guess now that you've been here for a little bit, what's been the hardest part of the transition? Um, for me, the hardest part has been, in all honesty, uh, the 
the injury process. I've been mm-hmm. injured for a lot of the time that I've been here, and I've I've had some injuries before, but these have definitely been the the most serious ones that I've ever had to mm-hmm. to deal with. Being a um, coming out of last season with a, a torn ACL, a partially torn LCL, and a broken tibia, Jeez. so just like coming to grips with the fact that it's like okay, like I'm gonna be out like. Yeah, nine to twelve months, and you know I'm very fortunate that the the coaching staff and the GMs were very much like you know we'll stick by you through this process, like, and I'm very thankful for them to that. But it's been the hardest part for me is I've never had to sit on a sideline and and watch mm-hmm. for this long before. When did you hurt your knee? Uh, the the first time I hurt my knee was week three versus LA, and mm-hmm. there was a couple a lot of different things, a couple of misdiagnoses here and there, but. It got to the, it was, um, I believe, like week not eight or nine when we were supposed to play uh, San Diego again and then ended up going to Maggot Fest instead. And oh, yeah. That was the one where I completely just blew out my knee. Yeah. So what, So now I guess you've been, I know there's a big uh, break in between that, but you've had some time to learn and you just talked about have you never been in this position before? Like, are you finding yourself learning different things about maybe yourself in the game like because now you have this opportunity to see this game from a different lens like is there any positives I guess as hard as that may be to swallow from you know not being able to play but being able to learn in a different way than you have before yeah I would say the uh the biggest positive and I mean it's it's a tough process to stay positive through the the mental side in all honesty has been a lot harder than the physical but um for me, I, I would say, it, you know, maybe it is a blessing in disguise because it really has forced me to become like more of a complete rugby player. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I watch I watch a lot of film and stuff, but like really like dissecting film and watching different positions, going more from like a, a catch carry guy to really like dialing in the skills, dialing in, you know, like seeing now it's like it's not every time you score has to be just like a catch carry run people over like. The, like putting people through with passes and incorporating a kick, the grubber, the chip kick into my game, like just different skills that I obviously was working on, but yeah. would not have been my main focus if I had never gotten hurt. And now it's, you know, when I come back, I, like I want those to be big parts of my game. As I say, that I know you just talked about your time in college. Um, so this is kind of the makeup time. Now you can really work on your passing, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's like a lot unfortunately of all you can on. do right <laughs> now is pass the ball. So it will all balance out, and I, I think you'll be better for it in the end. Um, did you have a moment like you – I like asking people that have played rugby this and you played for a little bit now. Like, do, you have, do you remember a specific moment when you kind of realized that rugby was fun? Like was it in college when you scored, you know, your first try, or has it been since you've come here and – like maybe there's a time the game just kind of like clicked for you. But like I, I, I think when you ask most rugby people, they like remember a specific moment where whether it be in training or in a game when they make a tackle and they're like, man, this is actually really fun. Like I'm really enjoying this. This is – I can see why people, you know, catch the bug. Yeah, I mean, even just like being out of practice and with the guys, like just the – the air around rugby is a very, it's a very different sport. It's a lot more free. It's a, it's a lot closer to lacrosse than football, I think, uh-huh. in that way too. Like That's I, interesting. I love football, but football is, is very structured. It's very like pre-called and lacrosse is a very like free flowing mm-hmm. game. Like you play for you, you play for the creator. Like 
you know, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, but at the end of the day, like, you're playing for something bigger. It's, it's, the game, it's called the medicine game. Like, it's yeah. about more than just the end result. And I feel like rugby is a lot of the same way. Like, we play, we go out there, we do our best, but, you know, win or lose at the end of the game, like, we go out, it's like, we're still a team. Yeah. We're with the coaches, we drink with the coaches, we drink with the other team, which that was a big adjustment <laughs> yeah. for me, but just yeah. like that idea of like, it's, it's a sport that's a community as well. Yeah. Like the, the game doesn't end with wins and losses and I like to win. But yeah. It's definitely something that coming into rugby, I was like, Oh, like this is, this is different, but this is something I want to be a part of. That's, that's a perfect way to put it. And I feel like I went through the same thing because I was always so, you know, it's such like a heavy, football background like and I never played in college or anything but I played from when I was seven you know into high school and I didn't pick up rugby until my junior year of high school and our team was a bunch of guys that had never played rugby before or the few people that did you know it was kind of like here where there's like a couple guys that played for a while and you're right it is just such a different mindset because in football is always like we want to kill these guys like these is the enemy you don't help them up like when, when they're down you don't, you know, all this stuff. Um, it's win or nothing. Like I, the high school I played football at, we had, a, we were pretty good. So I can, like, we lost, you know, single digit games the four years I was there, and I can just like remember how, you know, anxious or how bad practice was going to be, how how much in trouble you were when you lost, and so it was such a big adjustment. We came here. So first year I played rugby, we didn't win a game for a whole year. And I remember, like, we would lose, and everyone would be like, oh, it's all right. Like, we got a lot better. Like, you can see we're getting – and that was so hard for me to wrap my head around, but I can see, you know, as we went through it, and now, of course, like, you see the value and like, it's not – it's really not, like you said, I want to win, of course, but it's not always about winning. It really is about, like, the process and the community and being a team and, and all that stuff, which is, you know, arguably learned way more about that, you know, playing rugby than I did in football. So I – I completely like understand what you're talking about. I can see that's, you know, that is like such a big part of this game. Um, I think that's all the questions I had for you, Luke. I don't think there's anything else. I guess, uh, how is your knee doing? What's the timeline looking like for you? When can you expect to really get back into doing stuff? Um, so I'm, I'm definitely, I've been ruled out entirely for the fall. Um, we're, this is actually, I think, seven weeks to the day is today out. So almost almost at two months into the recovery. Um, it's supposed to be a, they said 11 to 12 month recovery. I'm, I'm two months ahead right now, so. That's good. Yeah, it's, they're, hoping, they're hoping for nine, nine months, which would be returning in April for the spring season, which is, you know, it's, it's hard to, to hear them say that, be like, oh, you're, you're so far ahead. Like maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe next year, midway right. through the year, you can come back, but. You know, I'm just gonna keep grinding on the recovery, and you know, hopefully, be back out there on the field with the boys, and you know, make people in this, the stands proud as soon as I can. Perfect. Well, thanks so much for your time, Luke. Wishing you all the best in your recovery, man, and looking forward to watching you play again soon, soon enough. Thank you. Have a good one. All right. I hope everybody enjoyed that conversation with American Raptor Luke Millette. Really appreciate Luke taking some time out of his day. He's got a busy rehab schedule, uh, but he carved a few minutes for me there. Uh, the other day, and I really appreciate it. So shout out to Luke for that. Wish him all the best that he continues to recover from his knee injury, and we're looking forward to seeing him play rugby again next year. Uh, so we'll go ahead and jump into the required reading portion of the show now, and required reading is brought to you by Gilbert Rugby. Gilbert is the official rugby equipment supplier of the American Raptors. 
Visit worldrugbyshop.com to grab all of your Gilbert Rugby gear. And the piece this week is entitled USA Rugby Sleeping Giant or Failed Project by Easton, Easton maybe, Withers. I'm sorry, the, the, na- the first name is spelled I-E-S-T-Y-N. Um, that's published on talesfromsport.com. Just an interesting dive, you know, looking at rugby as a whole in the United States and, you know, why it's taken a little bit for rugby to take off. Because um, I think if you ask most people around the world, maybe even ask some people here, I would guess, they would think that rugby, you know, with this amount of energy and effort and the money that's going into it now would be a bigger deal in the United States by now. But um, I think people involved, I think people on the ground floor kind of realize that uh, we're still a ways away. I think we're on the right, the right track, um, but it's going to take more time and more money and more effort. Um, but I think there's a good platform being laid down right now, and it's just going to be working in unison, kind of pulling all the same direction uh, over these next few years to get it to a place before uh, the U.S. hosts the World Cup in 10, 11 years uh, to, to get it where they want it to be. So interesting look. I'd recommend you check it out. I'll, of course, link the article in the article that houses this podcast as well as the description of this podcast. So you, if you're interested, you just scroll down, click the link. Um, that kind of does it for required reading. I'll let you guys dive into that and, and pull what you want out of it. We'll go ahead and move into the stat of the week. In the meantime, the stat of the week is presented by Catapult. Catapult is committed to making performance technology available to athletes at all levels, whether it's the biggest teams and organizations in world sport or amateur rugby players. Catapult helps monitor performance like the pros. For more information, visit catapultsports.com. I will say I was watching the Detroit Lions hard knock season uh, a couple weeks ago, and if you look at the computers and the team meetings, they got catapulted up. So the Lions are using Catapult. Uh, hopefully Catapult provides them with the information they need to win a few more games because they have stunk forever. So hopefully Catapult is what gets them over the top and helps them uh, you know, win some, mat- some games, some matches, some football matches. Uh, but the stat of the week I thought was pretty interesting. So with Aspen on the, on the horizon, I was interested. I wanted to look at the elevation of Aspen. The elevation of Aspen is 8,000 feet on the nose. That's a pretty high elevation. And I got to wondering about some of the highest elevations of playing surfaces around the world for various different sports and whatnot. Because 8,000 feet, that seems like a big advantage you know, to, to teams like Aspen. I know they, they ship a lot of players in for this, but there are guys that are up there all summer playing in the Mountain League. That seems like an advantage to them, right? They've had this these few months to get their lungs acclimated, to get their bodies acclimated to 8,000 feet. Because even for the teams, the Colorado teams that are competing in this, the teams that are coming up from Denver, that's still a jump of about 3,000, 2,500 feet. That's a noticeable difference. Um, I, I almost guarantee that people are going to feel the difference. Um, so it made me wonder, you know, is you know, what, what are some of the highest playing surfaces uh, in the world? So I went through and made a little list, uh, starting with soccer. The highest soccer field in the world is Estadio Daniel Acides. Carrion in Cerro de Pasco, Peru. That's the highest stadium in the world at 13,973 feet. So you're pretty much playing soccer on a 14er. I try to dig into the team that plays there a little because they have to be. That has, that's an unbelievable home field advantage, right? Not every, I, even like very fit soccer players, right? That's playing soccer on top of a 14er has to be pretty tough. Uh, that that has to be a gigantic home field advantage. The only thing I think is like maybe teams in the same competition are playing at 
comparative elevations, right, or comparable elevations. Maybe they're not necessarily at almost 14,000 feet, but I guess if you're playing regularly at 11,000 feet or 12,000 feet, your body's pretty well acclimated. But that's insane. That They have to have, like, a crazy home field advantage. Moving into golf, the highest elevation golf course in the world is in Telluride, Colorado. It's a Telluride Golf Club at 9,417 feet. I'm sure people really, you know, like their their tee shots up there that high at Telluride Golf Club. Um, I know I certainly would. For football, um, I think it's all college stadiums, honestly, because the highest, you know, NFL stadium is is uh, Empower Field, where the Broncos play, Mile High Stadium. Um, but but the University of Wyoming's War Memorial Stadium is the highest uh, college football stadium in the in the country at 7,215 feet. They're very. Uh, they claim seventy-two twenty a lot, so it looks like they're they're five feet short of that. But uh, that's the highest football stadium in, in the country, and the rest are Northern Arizona at six thousand nine hundred eighty feet, Air Force at six thousand six hundred twenty feet, Southern Utah. I didn't know they had a football program. That's five thousand seven hundred and ninety-six feet. University of Colorado's Folsom Fields at five thousand three hundred and sixty feet, and then Colorado State Canvas Stadium is at five thousand one hundred and ninety feet. Um, so that's pretty interesting, I thought. And then rugby. This is where it gets tough because uh, the highest elevation international rugby stadium is Ellis Park in Johannesburg, South Africa, 5,940 feet, according to the internet.com. Um, but all those matches in, ta- in Aspen will take place at a higher elevation than that. And you've got to think that there are rugby pitches and maybe in Peru, right? We just learned that Peru has this soccer field on top of a 14er. So I'm sure there's got to be some some rugby pitches in these places that have crazy high elevation that are higher than that as well, higher than Ellis Park. Um, so while doing the research, I found a world rugby documentary on YouTube about 26 people that climbed Mount Everest on April, or excuse me, in April of 2019 and played rugby on top of Mount Everest. This was the highest match of rugby sevens, according to Guinness Book of World Records. This match took place at 20,741 feet and 5.64 inches. The match ended in a 5-5 draw for those that are interested. Uh, so you got to make sure you take the under on rugby matches played on Mount Everest. And I also saw that people played rugby on top of Mount Kilimanjaro as well at 19,000 feet, and they summited it in six days. So they played rugby and summited Mount Kilimanjaro in six days, which is crazy. Um, but those are some fun facts I thought I'd include in stat of the week. And if you know of any higher elevation matches, let me know. If there's there's higher pitches in the country, in the world, please let me know. Um, because I, I know just off the top of my head, like University of Wyoming and Laramie, they have a rugby team as well, so they're already playing at, you know, seven seventy two twenty, right? That's what they claim. So um, interested to, to learn more about that, but I thought that was kind of an interesting segment for the stat of the week. Let's go ahead and close the show with the loop. Uh, the Loop is brought to you by First Bank, and First Bank is the official banking partner of Infinity Park. They believe in banking for good, doing their best to do right by their customers, communities, and employees. Banking for good, member FDIC. Only thing I got, follow along on Twitter at DNVR underscore rugby and at Colton Strickler. Try to post some updates from Aspen. Um, stay tuned for next week's episode. Hopefully we have a bunch of good interviews from up there in Aspen. Like I said, taking my recorder. Um, and I'll just try to keep making making some content. But I would appreciate if you toss me a follow on Twitter. I say it every week, but we are getting closer to 1,000. Love to hit that here coming up soon. Um, that's the show for the week. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Hope you had a great week. Hope you have a great weekend. I'll catch you all back here next Friday.